All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City on this 17th day of August 2021. I do want to remind you that I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. We like to plug Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to ChenPicks.com for that. Uh, and Michael Oliver, who's with us today, we also also like to remind you to go to OliverMSA.com uh, to pick up on what Michael is doing and, and really to su- consider subscribing to Michael's excellent work. I have to say, uh, Michael will be with us in just a couple of minutes here, but I have to say that he was, once again, very helpful to me recently with this smackdown in the gold price. It does sort of unnerve you unless you can see the bigger picture and the momentum and structure, and that's what Michael looks at, and we'll be talking to him about that in just a couple of minutes. So I do also want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more, one of the more uh, profitable, bigger shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, also like to encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for taylor at gmail.com, questions at number four at gmail.com. Our sponsors for today's show Novo Resources, LOO Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., NV Gold Corp., and Firefox Gold. And by the way, in a few minutes from now, we will be speaking to Patrick Highsmith. He's the chairman of Firefox Gold. Uh, to get an update on that company's very exciting exploration target in Finland, a really underexplored area that with a great deal of promise and some good drill results so far. So we're looking forward to talking to Michael in the second segment of today's show. I've titled today's show, Profiting from the Coming Dollar Collapse. John Rubino, Patrick Highsmith, and Michael Oliver are with me. Uh, In 2004, John Rubino and James Turk wrote The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. In part one of the book, titled Why the Dollar Will Collapse, the authors passed along a quote from John Maynard Keynes, who stated in his book, the economic consequences of the peace, Keynes said, and I quote, there is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction and does it, and does it in a manner which not one man in a million can diagnose, end of quote. So, Indeed, Keynes is right about that. People don't understand where inflation is coming from. You're probably going to hear people say it's COVID, it's shortages, it's uh, supply chain issues, anything but the really basic cause of inflation, and that is the debasement of the currency or the debauchment of the currency, as Keynes called it, massive inflation of of the supply of money. And we are in that 
in a massive way. The biggest way that I can remember in my 70 years of 74 years of life uh, in America. And so here we are, 50 years after President Nixon set the stage for America to be sucked into a spiraling debt vortex in which the only response our Federal Reserve can have now is hyperinflation of the supply of money. And now in the process uh, of doing that, destroy our free market capitalist system that has made us the wealthiest country in the world. With the destruction of the American Republic and its economic system well underway and now with America's geopolitical dominance looking very shaky in light of the loss of Afghanistan, how much longer can the dollar survive? With the Biden administration spending trillions upon trillions of dollars that can only be funded with computer money or money created out of nothing, can hyperinflationary destruction of the purchasing power of the dollar be avoided? Those are all topics that I hope to discuss in some detail with John uh, Rubino. Uh, in uh, the second seg, uh, actually in the final segment of today's show, uh, and j- as I mentioned, just Patrick Highsmith will be with me in the second segment. Uh, but right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us once again to give us an update on those markets that we watch most closely. Welcome, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Talk to us about what's on your mind. What is most important to you right now that we should be watching? Well, a couple things. Um, <clears throat> since June, mid June, remember the Fed came out with their statement, uh, their minutes. And it hinted at, oh, at some future date, maybe 2023, they might taper. Okay. You know, so gold took a tank. It, it was about eight or ten trading hours, actually, it dropped. And it yeah. took it a, several weeks to base and then turn back up and have a nice rally. Um, and then uh, a, a Fed governor came out uh, last week sometime and made a statement to, to that effect saying might be sooner as they tank gold again. And mm-hmm. also, but that, there was also the coincident nighttime selling of tons of gold, you know. By yeah. who knows what, um, you know, and you can have a conspiracy theory about that, it seems to me. Most of the conspiracy theories, I think, are false, but that one strikes me as kind of funny because if, if he were selling, if the broker were selling that much gold that quickly for a private client, he wouldn't do it that, you know, recklessly. No. I mean, uh-huh. it, the guy's losing money on the sale, you know, it's collapsing. Mm-hmm. Instead, he would feed it in slowly over a period of time and distribute sure. out the guy's long position. But no, mm-hmm. it was intentional. So, so whoever mm-hmm. did it, I don't know. Uh, they don't control the market. History's proven that. Go back and research the IMF gold sales of 16 tons of gold from 1976 through 1980, trying to suppress the gold market, and it didn't work. Okay, mm-hmm. so yes, there may be government forces that do this, but ultimately gold has been trading at twice where it was in 2015. So, you know, they're not under that much control, okay? Mm-hmm. But anyway, right. what's so interesting is that over the last six trading days, gold has regained $120 from its traded low early last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and nobody's noticing it much, not financial price. 120 bucks, okay, decided uh-huh. day versus uh-huh. December contract low. Okay, but I think what I'm really watching is this. I had an itch this morning, and sometimes when you have a methodology, no matter what your, your realm of professionalism is, you know, medical or scientific or whatever, sometimes you have a, an itch that comes from your, the cumulative knowledge that you've got mm-hmm. cooking around in your brain, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I can see the pending breakage of the leadership symbols in the stock market. They look like they're setting up for something near-term, to start the process, and I don't mean crash, I don't mean a March 2020, but I'm talking about if the NASDAQ 100, SOX index, Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple, if those symbols start breaking good, solid momentum trend structures below them, and they have them, 
In other words, the mm-hmm. structures are built, and if you build a structure and you're sitting on top of it, it's something to break, in other words. And mm-hmm. you can't go down unless there's something to break. Well, they built that something to break, and they're not all that far away from the beginning numbers of the process. Mm-hmm. I'm suspecting that we're going to start to see that unraveling process among the leadership of the market soon, very soon, uh, like in the next days, weeks, and especially in this quarter, such that by the time you get into the next quarter, it could really start to unravel. So that's what we're monitoring right now. Well, why is that important? Well, because the Fed knows good well that if the stock market gets weak, and you know, let's say just 10%, it's going to hurt sentiment. And we noticed that consumer sentiments dropped sharply recently. Right. You know, some of these metrics that the Fed is watching aren't upticking. They're downticking. Mm-hmm. The financial press is pointing to the inflation, but the Fed is seeing things, numbers that unemployment aren't getting to their levels. Consumer confidence dropped surprisingly to them. Uh, I think even some industrial production numbers didn't come in quite where they wanted them. You, you add to that a weak stock market, and I don't mean a crashing one, but just a weak one, and they are not going to taper. Mm-hmm. That Jackson Hole meeting, they're going to come out and they're going to push it off again. And uh, I think gold knows that. I think the people investing in gold, the big money people, sniff that as other asset categories weaken, they better own more gold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the process we're in right now. Mm-hmm. So watch the, the leadership in the stock market. That's what we're focused on at MSA. Defining the downturn in Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Sox Index, NASDAQ 100. Because when they go, the market's going. So, Michael, what I understand you're saying then is here they talk about taper and gold goes up, which you'd expect gold to be to tank. Yeah. Huh? In effect, so, the Fed reaffirmed what the rumors were, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of days yeah. ago, there were four Fed governors came out and said they wanted to taper September. Okay, yeah. that's a pretty <laughs> strong voice. And, and you know, and and Powell said something, but we need we're starting to get concerned about inflation. Well, okay, that's sort of affirming the rumor. Okay, right. And yet, right. gold has rallied one hundred and twenty dollars in the last six trading days. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so maybe that maybe maybe, maybe the the smart money is looking ahead and figuring you know right. one step that's ahead right. what's going to happen once you taper, the market's mm-hmm. going to tank. And then you, we know what you're going to do after that. because Or, or the market's going to tank and they're not going to taper at all, either way, whichever way you want to figure it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think gold suspects that, and I think smart money is not looking at headlines. They don't sell headlines. Amateur mm-hmm. traders sell headlines. So mm-hmm. the people that sold the Fed News back in June and then they sold it a week ago, uh, you know, they, they're, they're looking at themselves saying, well, what's going on here? It's back up. <laughs> yeah. 20 off the low in six days. So anyway, I think we're at an interesting moment here. I think it's getting yeah. very close, and uh, that's why the MSA is great. Michael, you know, I'm looking, because I watch the gold shares very closely, of course, and it seems to me that the gold shares have been more correlated to the weakness, sort of the topping pattern of the market. You, I mm-hmm. think you said the last time we had you on, you saw a topping pattern. Now it seems like you're saying it again uh, with, these key, with these key companies. Uh, but... Um, it's, it's, it just seems to me that the that we could expect some weakness in the gold shares, I would think, along no, with the equity market to start with. <laughs> to start me, with. I disagree. Well, I, I, hope, I, I hope you're right yeah. because yeah, I have a vested I, interest in you being right. Yeah. But my no, fear I, always I is that you know when the margin clerk calls, you have to sell whatever you can sell. 
Uh, that's you know. So in the short run, isn't it possible we could see a stronger dollar mm. in some of these? Uh, well, we're seeing one right now, but it's strong within a three percent range. <laughs> it's been in a three yeah. percent range for twelve months, mm. and you know that's like it's it, it's been beat down to the to the curbstone, and it's just flopping around down there at ninety to ninety three zone. Uh, mm. Which, when you look at that last twelve months, go back to last July even, uh, that's the narrowest one year range I think in the history of the dollar in terms of mm-hmm. ups, uh, percent volatility from high to low. So mm-hmm. it's a whimpering market. And mm-hmm. where that's occurring on its long-term annual momentum is there's a trend line that goes back to 1988, 32 mm-hmm. years, 33 mm-hmm. years, on annual momentum that we're laying on for the last, 12, uh, last 10, 12 months on the momentum chart, where you can't get off the line, which says to me that the momentum is anemic, at the best, it's holding, and everybody who sees an uptick in the dollar thinks it's something big, but it's within a range that's so trivial, it's hardly a day trade. Mm-hmm. You know, my goodness. Uh, so what what you're talking about here, then, if we if, if you're looking at a, I guess a a floor, kind of a floor for the dollar over 33 years, if I understand you, well, that if that floor is broken, trend, yeah, yeah. huh? Yeah, we, it, actually, we've eroded it a bit. But each uh-huh. time we've hit this trend line, going back to 1988, we've exploded off the line. This mm-hmm. time, the dollar's laying on the line. Oh, oh. In other so words, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's trying, it's hugging the line. It's saying, oh, I got to hold, I got to hold. But it's, it's not mustering a rally of any consequence, and it hasn't for a year, and it's tried like three or four times. So, so the so, point is, it, it seems to me, the point in my mind is that if it breaks that uptrend, that 33-year... Yes, yes. Then we're looking at something very significant on the downside potentially. I would say you don't want to see 91 traded again. Certainly don't want to see 90 traded again on the dollar index. Right now the dollar's at 93. It's dollar index. So you're a couple percent above death numbers. And mm-hmm. I don't think the dollar is a leader. Mm-hmm. It's a glacial market. A 10% move in that market is monstrous. Oh sure, uh, it's not good, you know. And so uh, I see, you know, another major decline in the dollar coming after this holding pattern breaks down, and I think it's going to break down. But it's uh-huh. not a leading market, so to look at it as a leader is misleading. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, if you look for dollar leadership, you would never have gone long gold, right? Back in right. 2015 or 16. That's true. The, That's true. You know, where's the dollar? It's where it was then. You know. Yeah, yeah, gold and and, yeah. and treasuries and the dollar uh, the place to go. A lot of people went to it during times of trouble. Michael, thank you so much for your insights. Very, very valuable as always. And uh, we'll look to talk to you in a couple of weeks from now again if you're available. So thank you so yeah, much. Sure. Thanks, Jay. Alrighty, alrighty, folks. We do have to go to break, but uh, don't go away. Patrick Highsmith, he's the chairman of Firefox Gold, will be with us. He had some numbers that came out this morning, and we'll ask him about that with the significance of. The latest assays that have come out. Uh, very exciting company, I think, and a very low market cap means that those who see the potential might benefit very nicely. Uh, at least that's what I'm hoping as I have uh, put some of my own money into this company, Firefox Gold. So we'll be back uh, with Patrick Highsmith right after the break. Don't go away. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. 
The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really happy to have with me once again Patrick Highsmith, the chairman of Firefox Gold. Uh, it's a company that I've been covering in my newsletter, one that I own personally, and so I'm really pleased to have him with us again. It trades uh, in Toronto under the symbol FFOX and in the U.S. under FFOXF, just add an F to the end of the symbol, uh, about 101 million shares outstanding, if I've got that correct, at uh, 20 cents thereabouts in U.S. money today giving it a very small market cap of only around $20 million, which I think is very exciting uh, once you look at uh, the prospects this company has. Patrick, thanks so much for joining me again. Good afternoon, Jay. Thanks so much for having us. Good to be here. It's good to have you with us. Um, I don't know, maybe you want to just give give our listeners just an overview of what of what the company is all about. Uh, you're in, in Finland, and there's not too many junior companies out there, and you're exploring... Uh, a greenstone belt that has been underexplored compared to most of the others in the world. Those are some of the things I know. But go ahead and uh, and just say whatever you want to say about the company before we get into some more details. Sure, Jay. You, you hit the highlights there for me. Thanks very much. But as you know, Firefox Gold is about exposing investors to emerging discovery in, frankly, one of the hottest gold belts in the world in northern Finland. And we're doing real exploration Jay, and as you say, we're at, we're at a pre-discovery valuation, yet we believe we have discoveries emerging right now. And so a uh, great opportunity, and uh, that low valuation is what you get when you're doing early-stage exploration until you prove the, uh, the big discoveries are there, and then things change, or that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, and you seem to have some indications you may be onto something. Uh, you, I know, I think it was back in April sometime when you put out a phenomenal assay of 93.88 grams of gold per ton over 1.35 meters, which is pretty spectacular, actually. Uh, and you came out with some more news today, not quite as spectacular, but, you know, for investors that are really serious about this business, you got to look at the big picture. And so 
talk to us about the news that you put out today and how that fits in with this high-grade uh, this high-grade intercept that you reported back in April. Absolutely. T- today's release, frankly, Jay, is, is fun stuff because it's about geological thinking and execution and success. And we're going to start with the small picture here. We're going to talk about the Mustiarvi project. As you commented, we drilled some visible gold that we announced. We announced the visible gold in April, Jay, and then the assays we announced in mid-June finally. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's happened at Mustiarvi and in today's news release, the, the audience can see the figures that explain it a little bit, is while we were waiting for those assays, of course, we continued to drill. We knew we'd hit the high grade. We could see the visible gold in it. But the geologists are tracking a, a fault or a shear zone that passes through this Mustiarvi project. And using geophysics and some 3D modeling, we had seen another area where that fault sort of had a little bend in it, maybe a cross structure, Jay. And as you know, mm-hmm. those are the pathways for these fluids sometimes that carry the gold. And so even though it's blind, this property's covered with glacial sediments. We don't see the rock. We used mm-hmm. these tools, and we went out about 650 meters from that high grade and drilled two more holes, which we've reported today. And we hit mm-hmm. gold, Jay. And, mm-hmm. and uh, at first pass, at first pass, you know, three mm-hmm. meters of, of 1.3 grams or a meter of 3.8 grams per ton doesn't sound like much. But gold doesn't grow on trees. And when you step out 650 meters and, and drill a blind target based on, on science and modeling and you hit gold and you hit the same kind of veins, that hosted the high-grade, Jay. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. know that with persistence, just last year, we persisted at the northeast target, and that led to the 150-gram-meter the hole you referred to. And we mm-hmm. believe some persistence here at the new east target, another 600 meters uh, out from the mm-hmm. high-grade, will again result in more significant intercepts to come. So we're quite excited. It, it, what it shows us now, Jay, is that this structure for over 2.1 kilometers has mm-hmm. yielded swarms of veins with mm-hmm. good grade in each of those pods. And we believe mm-hmm. there's a lot more to come. And, of course, uh, we're planning on stepping out starting October 1 around that high grade uh, that we were both speaking of just now. So a lot more drilling to come starting October 1 for another fully funded drill program uh, through the uh, fall and winter. All right, fully funded, so you don't have to go out and raise money at twenty cents a share. That's a good. That's good news, and uh, expecting some good returns uh, from the, from the drill results. And how uh, how backed up are your are your labs? Is there a turnaround time? What is it like for you? You know, it's comparable, Jay, to what we see in North America. Maybe it's a little quicker, um, mm-hmm. but we are almost done. There are four holes left in this drill program. Mm-hmm. Um, they will include hole 10, which we know hit the vein system that uh-huh. hosted that visible gold. Jay, we've already reported that. We, can, we, we drilled underneath hole 1, and we did hit the vein system. Those assays are probably due in the next couple of weeks, so that's great oh, news coming uh, maybe around the end of August or, or early September at the latest. And then that'll be all the outstanding assays uh, just in time to sort of clear the news flow up before we start drilling again in October. Yeah, I just would like to tell our tell my listeners that uh, you know those that are interested in sort of visualizing what you're talking about, if you go to firefoxgold.com, your news release has some very nice illustrations there that can help people start to get a sense of the of the scale of what you're talking about, 2.1 kilometers. And so you're so going. You, you mentioned October. You'll be drilling, uh, I guess, in and around the uh, Musiarvi project. 
How will you be following up with what you, yeah. Yeah, stepping back from the small picture uh, to the big picture, yes, we'll be stepping out uh, around that known high grade. And as, as, as Quentin Henney told us, as one of our technical advisors, as Rich Goldfarb has told us, when you're drilling very high-grade gold like that, you're not going to step out very far, right? Because it, it no. doesn't, it, it's not necessarily reproducible over great distances. So we'll do several close step-outs to really nail down that high-grade and maybe drill deeper a bit. So we're really going to focus there. We'll also be drilling in this brand-new eastern target. But, Jay, we have uh, two other drill-ready projects and the imminent granting of permits on a property we've all been watching called the Sarvi Project. That mm-hmm. permit will be granted before the, the drilling starts. So we expect to actually be drilling on this conveyor belt of properties that we have. I wouldn't be surprised if we drill not only Musti Arvi, but also uh, Sarvi and maybe uh, on one of our other projects as well uh, in the fall and winter program. So we're going to keep that conveyor belt going because we know no one knows where the next discovery is going to come in Lapland, and we intend to be the one who's continuously drilling and delivering results. And uh, to do that, you just got to drill. So we'll be drilling at least three projects uh, in this program sort of between October and January. Mm-hmm. And you're well-funded. And, and I'll remind our listeners, you have a couple of big boys uh, that are there at least uh, – uh, I mean, it's it's a fairly new discovery. I mean, uh, talk to us a little bit about the recent uh, activities there. I think Agnigal Eagle is the leading company there now, probably, and they're doing quite well, I think. Absolutely, Jay. The belt is controlled, really, by four junior companies and two majors in terms of who holds the tenements. And Firefox is one of the biggest tenement holders at about 800 square kilometers in this tiny little company. Maybe that's a quarter of the prospective ground in the belt. Agnico Eagle, of course, is the most well-known major because they operate the Kitala Mine, uh, mm-hmm. just uh, sort of 30 kilometers from where we're talking about at the moment. So they operate one big mine. B2 Gold holds a number of licenses in the area, including right across the highway from us at Musiarvi. So I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm hoping they're watching this gold we're drilling at Musiarvi at B2. And then, of course, Kinross is invested in uh, companies in the belt and has been actively exploring in the belt for a few years. But that's really it. So here you have mm-hmm. a case where a whole Greenstone belt, Jay, is held by five or six companies. And, and as mm-hmm. you know, in eastern Canada or, or West Africa or Australia, that might be a dozen or more companies or two dozen companies over such a land position. So, mm-hmm. so it is a little bit different. And when folks start looking up the central Lapland Greenstone belt and they see the big tenement holders there, they'll certainly see uh, Firefox kind of hanging out with the big boys and certainly with Rupert's new discovery, Rupert Resources' new discovery at Ickery. Uh, we're happy to have adjacent uh, uh, permits at the Sarvi project, which we expect to be granted in the next couple of weeks. And uh, really, it's just kind of intertwined Firefox and Rupert and Orion and, you know, the, the majors that I mentioned. So a kind of a small cadre of companies exploring in Lapland, but finally the belt is getting the meters of drilling that it needed, Jay. And uh, we and others are, are hitting some exciting new discoveries. Could you give us an idea? We do have another minute or a couple of minutes left here yet, but with uh, respect to Agnigal Eagle, something about that project, is it, uh, and is the geology similar to something that you're looking at? The Kitala mine, Jay, was discovered uh, actually by the Geological Survey of Finland uh, back in the 90s, actually in a road cut. It was discovered while a road was being built. And then uh-huh. a small company got involved, and, and I first looked at it with Newmont back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it was Agnico that, that was the more aggressive acquirer. They're mining. Uh, at first, they had some open pits, Jay, and now they're mining underground. They've recently expanded that with a big infusion of capital to sink a shaft deeper. And it contains, mm-hmm. in total, past production and resources around 9 million ounces. So it's truly a giant deposit. And mm-hmm. yet, it's the only very large deposit in the belt. So that is not likely to stand, Jay. As you know, these belts yield multiple discoveries. And there just mm-hmm. ends up being a statistical distribution, a, a few very large, a lot of medium size, and, and then more small deposits. And yet, mm-hmm. in Lapland, we only have one large deposit so far. And they've mm-hmm. been profitably producing for some time. In fact, Jay, the grades get richer as they go deeper there, which is kind of exciting. Um, So uh, it is an orogenic gold deposit, much like we're exploring for. However, Mm -hmm. it's refractory. Its gold is closely associated with arsenopyrite, so it requires a more expensive processing, whereas Rupert reports favorable metallurgy on their project and that it isn't refractory. And as we just said in our news release, uh, our preliminary mineralogical studies are showing a substantial component of free gold in our oh, good. and no association with arsenopyrite. So while the deposit oh. types are similar, they're sort of in members of those orogenic gold systems, mm-hmm. Jay, mm-hmm. and the one they're mining, mm-hmm. fortunately, it's very high grade, and they can still process profitably, even though it's a little more refractory than some deposits around the mm-hmm. world. And as mm-hmm. yet, no other refractory deposit has been drilled out in Lapland. So... So mm-hmm. um, the the jury's still out on exactly the metallurgy on these new discoveries, but it is a bit different than what Agnico is mining. Well, for sure, it's uh, it's good to hear that uh, early um, indication of, of metallurgy that you're talking about. That's for sure. But of course, uh, it's very early days yet for your uh, you know for you up there, and there's a lot that we need to know. But it, it cer- certainly you're off to a good start. So uh, a very promising start, I would say, and a market cap of twenty million dollars. It's for speculative investors, investors that want to get on, on to some of these things, uh, you know, put a little bit of money into a project like this, to me, um, it, it makes a lot of sense, and certainly that's what I've done. I, I'm really pulling for you, um, really hoping that you can do well, and I know you're a very experienced geologist, having worked many years with Newmont, and uh, everybody on this show knows Dr. Quentin Henning, who's uh, involved and certainly has some input, at least, uh, along with you. I think he's a good friend of yours, so I'm sure... You'll be comparing notes and, and keeping us abreast of what's going on as we go forward. So uh, anything else you'd like to say before we, before we conclude today's discussion? Well, thanks for the kind words, Jay. It's a, I just want to give, give uh, a shout-out to the team in Finland. I tell you, our CEO, Carl Lofberg, based in Finland, our exploration manager, Miko Ninanen, based in Lapland, built a house there. So our team is local, Jay. And the work mm-hmm. they've done is just incredible. Uh, I'm so proud of the, of the young, dynamic team we have. And I would say, look, follow our news. You'll see we're intense, we execute, and uh, we're focused on discovery. And I think that's one of the things you're looking for when you're investing uh, with a real uh, exploration company like Firefox. Absolutely. With the experience management, uh, always uh, the best way to go. Thank you so much, Patrick, for being with us. And we'll look to keep up with you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now. Don't go away, though, because we'll be back with John Rubino to talk about some of those issues that we uh, discussed in the introduction to today's show, the dollar, dollar collapse, the potential of that, and what it might mean for your investments. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino.
Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we're really pleased to have with me once again John Rubino, the proprietor of dollarcollapse.com. And uh, John is, uh, well, he's been a, a very quite frequent guest on this show and a really good friend. Um, everybody knows John Rubino, I think. I, I have never found somebody that doesn't like him. He's very personable, uh, but he's very smart. So, you know, he can be a nice person, but John has both the smarts and he's a good guy and people really like him. Uh, so that's one reason to have him on. But frankly, uh, I think most of our listeners are interested in making money. And if it's a nasty bugger or someone who's really nice like John, they don't care. They want to make money. But it's good to have both. Thanks for joining me again, John. Hey, Jay. Good intro. Thank you. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and this, this is a really good day for us to talk because there is a lot going on out there that is meaningful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, is there ever? So let's get into it. Uh, just like to sort of we, we've titled today's show uh, Profiting from the Coming Dollar Collapse. That's your, the title of your book written back in 2004 by you and James Turk. Uh, and, you know, I'm just wondering back at that time, 2004, did you have a time in mind for the dollar survival? And would have you thought it would last this long at that point in time? Yeah, we, we did have a time frame, 2005. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, was, oh. that was when we thought everything was going to fall apart. Uh-huh. Actually, our, our, the biggest stressor uh, for James and I when we were writing that book was that we were afraid we were going to be too late, that we would come to market and the global financial system would already have fallen apart before the book came out. You know? So that, that's, how, um, that's how tenuous the world seemed back then. You know, we were already – people forget now that already – by the early 2000s, we were the biggest debtor nation in the history of the human race. Mm -hmm. And we were making all the mistakes that previous countries made right before hyperinflations hit. So we were in that kind of a spot 
back then. Um, and here we still are, you know, we have not completely blown up yet. And, uh, you know, I think the, the explanation for that in retrospect is that this is a global um, inflation, mm -hmm. global debt binge. And we've got all the central banks of the world operating with fiat currencies, which is to say unlimited printing presses, and that gave them tools that no previous system has ever had for manipulating markets and for mm -hmm. fooling people into thinking things are basically okay when they're absolutely not. Uh, but even that, you know, even a global fiat currency system has limits and it feels like we're bumping up against some of those limits now at long last. Mm -hmm. When you say we're, we were the largest debtor nation, is that based on our national debt or is that based on our trade deficits? Because we've been running huge trade deficits, hemorrhaging dollars, if you will, whereas some of the you know the the creditor nations, the nations that have been been selling more to us than we buy from them, turn around and buy our treasuries, or at least were until now. Uh, the largest debtor nation on the basis of the national debt, I suppose. Well, on the basis of total debt, because you can't total just debt. look at government debt yeah. um, if you're trying to gauge the financial health of a system, because uh, you know governments can. Uh, like we did in the 1990s, they can convince the private sector to borrow huge amounts of money, which generates taxable income, which lowers the government's need to borrow, and therefore you can even run surpluses while in the middle of a debt binge. Um, and we did that in the 1990s. We actually ran some surpluses, but the private sector was conned into taking on so much money that our total debt went through the roof. So by the, uh, the early 2000s, the total debt in the U.S. economy was higher than any country's ever in history. Mm. And the per capita debt was right up there. And like you said, the, uh, the trade deficit that we were running um, mm -hmm. was the biggest ever. So mm -hmm. we, we were running record levels of debt and borrowing and leverage wherever you looked. You know, and that doesn't include unfunded liabilities and derivatives, which are vastly bigger now than they have ever been in history, you know, because there wasn't even a derivatives market until just lately. And now it's approaching a quadrillion dollars notional value. And uh, unfunded liabilities were also unheard of 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now they dwarf the official national debt. You know, what, what Medicare actually owes mm -hmm. is bigger than what the U.S. government actually owes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, absolutely just astronomical issue, no doubt about it. So I, I guess what you're saying is the system has lasted, the dollar system has lasted this long in part because of this globalization sort of spreading the risk out, socializing it around the globe in a way. Uh, and... Um, uh, other, I mean, it's it, to, to me another part of it, John, and this is why I ask about the about the export of the trade balances, the trade imbalances, the trade deficits, is because up until recent years, it didn't matter that we were buying more than we were selling to other countries because the people that sold us more were taking the dollars they earned and buying our treasuries, recycling them into treasuries. From what I can see, that's largely stopping now. That's largely not happening. Uh, the export, the, the major exporters are not recycling dollars to buy our treasuries, which now means that the Fed has to print money to buy a large percentage of our debt. Yeah, we, we've entered the next stage of the process, which is self-financing, you know, where we just create new dollars and fund the government with it. You know, that's that's the definition of modern monetary theory. That's mm -hmm. uh, That's a theory that's considered still to be kind of fringe, but functionally, we're already doing it. Because, uh, for instance, the, the Treasury will issue a bunch of debt to fund the government. 
The Fed buys that debt with newly created dollars, and then it rebates the interest paid on that debt back to the Treasury. So in effect, the Fed is just creating new dollars and funding the government with it, so, which is modern monetary theory. So, so we're towards the end of the process. You know, that, this also happened to governments in the past when they were destroying their currencies, where they get to the point where they're just creating new currency to keep the government running. You know, their taxes really don't, don't finance them anymore. They have to just create a lot of new currency. And that's usually a prelude to a collapse in the currency's yeah. value uh, because people figure it out eventually that, um, you know, that the government is just printing new currency at an accelerating rate and using that currency to fool everybody into thinking things are okay. And once people realize that, they bail on the currency. You know, they, they use their currency to buy real things that governments can't inflate away. And you get the crack-up boom or the Minsky moment or whatever mm -hmm. term you want to use for it, which is basically this discontinuity at the end of a gigantic credit bubble when, you know, yesterday means nothing to tomorrow. There's no um, linearity anymore in the system. It goes nonlinear. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're following that script. We're just following it much more slowly than any mm -hmm. other um, crack-up boom has ever unfolded. But uh, yeah. we're doing all the stuff, and we're, um, we're seeing all the effects that other systems have seen when they tried something this stupid. Yeah. Well, so, you know, John, people will people will say, well, we've heard from guys, you know, Taylor, you've been talking about the dollars collapse for, since you started writing your newsletter in 1981, Jay, you know, um, yeah, this guy Turk and Rubino and, you know, a bunch of other guys, we hear them talking all the time about the dollar collapse and we're talking about gold going to umpteen thousands of dollars, but it doesn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, 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 Taylor, don't, so are you saying that the, the the handwriting is on the wall in essence by some of these things. If we look back historically, I know we hear from Alistair McLeod who likes to compare what we're going through now with John Law's Mississippi bubble in which the uh, the Central Bank of France had to print money uh, to try to prop up the Mississippi company, which was essentially the, the French economy at that time. And so it, it did it until people lost confidence and then they, you know, the people, the Mississippi bubble, the Mississippi company wasn't making any money and so people started losing confidence, and so they had to start printing money to buy the shares to keep the con game going, and then ultimately a collapse, of course. Uh, you see something like that happening, and then this notion that trillions upon trillions, I mean, it's not just, it's, I look at, you know, it's, I looked at your most recent um, article here, which I would suggest to our listeners, you go to Dollar Collapse and read it. After 50 years of fiat currency, guess what looks good? Uh, John, it's an excellent article, but as I look at some of these charts here, you know, we're, we're talking exponential, aren't we? I mean, it's like, it's like exponential doesn't last very long. No, exponential change cannot go on for very long. And, and we are in the exponential phase of all this, you know. Uh, basically, what, what you were saying about the uh, John Law back mm -hmm. in the 1700s in France, mm -hmm. um, we're doing virtually the same thing. He had to create new currency. He was, he was basically the, the chairman of the Fed and the Treasury Secretary of France at that time. You know, so he had the power to do all this stuff. But what, what we're doing now is creating a ton of new currency to prop up our financial markets, just as the French tried to do back then. Right. Uh, because the bond market would collapse without the Fed um, buying mm -hmm. 
billions and billions and billions of dollars every month of new treasury issuance, the stock market would totally collapse if we could not keep interest rates low by buying bonds. So that what we're doing now is basically exactly what you described from 18th century France, only we're doing it on a scale that's just so off the charts. You know, the, the South Sea bubble could fit into um, J.P. Morgan Chase's prop trading desk very comfortably. <laughs> you know, they, they could handle that whole thing. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing now is just so much Math. bigger than anything that's been done before mathematically. Massive and, scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so when it blows up, the, you know, the, uh, I, it's hard to even imagine what happens when the whole world tips over the way it's going to. I mean, this isn't just the U.S. You know, we're talking about the dollar and everything, but the euro is in the same boat. The yen is in the same boat. Even the, uh, uh, the, the Chinese yuan and pound sterling, you know, they all, all the big currencies with a very possible exception of this was Frank mm-hmm. are, are going the same way. They're falling off the same cliff at some point. And, um, you know, the, the timing, obviously, <laughs> you and I don't get to, to predict the no. timing of something yeah. like this anymore, but we're clearly heading in that direction. So if you want to um, invest money in this world, um, it makes sense to try to position yourself for that eventuality. In other words, to protect yourself and your family and maybe profit from a big financial discontinuity when nothing works anymore. And yeah. so that's the gold story, basically, because yeah. that's the thing that uh, for the last 5,000 years has worked, no yeah. matter what we threw at it. No, what, what, you know, revolution, natural disaster, um, crazy new political philosophy, whatever, financial crash, gold has held its value that whole time. Um, so that's the logical place to be with a few other um, possibilities thrown in, like possibly cryptos, definitely farmland, maybe a good rental house here and there, you know, things like that, that mm-hmm. governments can't make more of. And um, very possibly shorting some of these big stocks at some point in the not too distant future. You know, watch the movie, The Big Short. Yeah. <laughs> and you see that uh, timing is hard, but the rewards are astounding if you catch mm-hmm. a bubble right near the peak, you know, and, and I don't know. Yeah, we could talk if, if we have time about the specific things that are happening today, which that, that imply that the bubble is near to bursting. Well, and I think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, starting with uh, Joe Biden's enormous amounts of trillions upon trillions that he wants to spend, and the Democrats, I guess, believe modern monetary theory. They haven't looked at John Law's Mississippi bubble. They haven't looked at uh, these other disasters of the past. In fact, uh, I think that Alistair likes to compare John Law with uh, with John Maynard Keynes in terms of he says law was you know had law beat Keynes to this con game essentially uh, and uh, anyway it, it seems to work right and as long as it works it works until it doesn't and people have realized that the Fed had its back in the equity markets if uh, you know it's like Michael saying well you know fat chance the Fed's going to really taper anything seriously uh, they're going to keep piling pumping money into the system. So then I guess the question is, why would it break down? Why would, why would uh, at the same time, Michael's saying he thinks we're seeing a topping of the equity market, and he thinks that he believes very strongly that the big guys that have been holding the NASDAQ up that uh, are, are really about to topple over. So what, yeah. what causes it to happen, John? In other words, why can't the party go on forever? What are the, well, phys- the dynamics and physics that keep it from happening? Well, exponentially growing systems cannot go on forever because they take more and more. Uh, if, if you're not talking about just finance, but exponential systems in general, yeah. they take more and more energy over time. They require more and more energy in order to operate um, optimally. Uh, but 
as you reach a point where there's just not enough new energy to put into the system, that's that's when they blow up frequently. So we're, we're at the point now where the amount of money, new money that has to be created to keep the system running right is so immense that you, you, you know reach a limit. Can you just create $10 trillion a year, year after year after year, and just dump it into the system? Probably not. And mm-hmm. so, so what's happening right now is very interesting because um, it's important to uh, – to point out that the system is so fragile now that it can't handle a normal garden variety recession slash bear market. If we just had a normal, uh, you know, 1982 kind of downturn where it, you know, it's tough, but totally survivable, it wouldn't be survivable this time because we're so financially fragile. But here's what's happening right now. The, the Fed is starting to talk about tapering which normally tanks the stock market anyhow. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got slowing growth. Retail sales were actually down in the last month, and home sales are starting to plateau after a a huge spike in prices, at least in that market. Uh, Consumer sentiment just cratered. Now that the stimmy checks aren't going out anymore, all of a sudden consumers are not nearly as optimistic as they were, and they're scaling back their... um, their buying plans, which is why retail sales are down. And stocks, meanwhile, just hit an all-time high yesterday. <laughs> and then, then Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, we've got this, this thing going on geopolitically that makes us look incompetent and weak. And, yeah. you know, a fiat currency is a psychological construct. It only exists and only has value because the people in charge are perceived to be competent and honest. And mm-hmm. I know that's a stretch in any event for the U.S. government uh, these last 20 or 30 years. But uh, now, more so than ever, it, it's a huge stretch because we're just flailing around geopolitically. You know, we, we really don't know what we're doing in the world. And President Biden is not somebody who can explain it in a way. You know, he's not Ronald Reagan. He can't come out and make a speech that is just perfect and and uh, convinces everybody that we're on the right track. So the the world is looking at the U.S. right now and thinking, wow, do I really want to own all these dollars? Because look at that. that is, that's the country with the world's reserve currency, really? So, you know, you throw all that together, and it's very possible. That, and, well, and stocks are tanking today, right? So they're, they're doing what you would expect them to do, given all the stuff I just talked about. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, it's possible that we're we're rolling over now. Yeah, uh, it's certainly, and I know Alistair likes to talk about uh, the enormous amounts, and I can't remember the numbers right now, but the amount of money, the amount of dollars that are still held by foreigners, it's very large. And so if those, market, if those dollars came onto the market, it, it certainly could, uh, could hurt, the, hurt the dollar. Um, I, I know that uh, just talking, to, I think it was Jim Rickards was saying much of what you were saying in an article I just read by him, talking about the weakness in the global economy, and, and not the least of which is China as well. So, uh, a, a, but his view is that the the Fed and the Biden administration doesn't seem to realize how weak the economy is, and so this high idea of at least talking about talking about tapering and, and letting interest rates rise, uh, I don't know. It uh, it may be spooking the market. Maybe that's the start of it. But another interesting thing that Michael just mentioned, John, was that uh, this time when they mentioned tapering, gold went up. So his thinking is maybe people are looking out ahead. The smart money is looking out ahead and saying, okay, go ahead and taper. Then what are you going to do? You're going to just print enormous amounts of money. So maybe that's what some of the smart money is thinking is gold has bounced off, I think, $125 off its recent low. So I'm not sure what it's doing right now. but it's uh, Well, in each of the previous taper tantrums, 
when when the Fed tried to taper and then the stock market tanked and the Fed had to take it back and ease again, uh, gold got sucked down along with everything else. Mm-hmm. So it could, but but then it rocketed as soon as the Fed said, "Oh, did I say I was going to taper? Never mind. I meant I was going to cut interest rates and and yeah. ramp up QE." Well, <laughs> maybe people are just looking ahead and thinking, "All right, well, you know, the risk is that gold drops by ten percent during this the turmoil, but then the profitability, you know, the profit potential is thirty or forty or fifty percent when it takes off from the bottom. So why not just buy it now? So people could be looking ahead to the Fed's capitulation. <laughs> that that would be a reasonable thing to do." Right. John, uh, one of very interesting chart in your article, uh, after 50 years of fiat currency, guess what looks good? The last page, the last chart on your article. And folks, you should go to dollarcollapse.com, read John's article, this one as well as many others that he writes, and articles that he posts there from other excellent writers as well. Uh, John, this is a chart, gold bull markets chart, that shows where we're at now relative to where we've been in the past. Uh, for example, the 1976-1980, we're a long ways away uh, from from the value of gold at that at that peak, and we're about maybe halfway there. Uh, would you care to comment on on where do you think? I mean, I think it's silly to try to say ask the question where will gold, how high will gold go? Because we're measuring it in dollars. It's almost a meaningless unit of measure, isn't it? Um. Yeah, and and it has been going up. I mean, gold was two hundred and some dollars an ounce at the beginning of this century. Now mm-hmm. it's seventeen hundred and some dollars. So it has done exactly what it was supposed to do during that time, but it's done it in a way that's left because it's done it with long boring stretches, mm-hmm. <laughs> interspersed yeah. with brief um, um, jumps, and so it's left a lot of people very frustrated. But yeah, if you look at this chart, you see that gold has about doubled in this bull market. But previous bull markets had gold going up between 400% and 500%. Mm-hmm. So we're in the very early stages, if you can use the past as prologue, mm-hmm. um, we're in the very early stages of a much bigger move. You know, a 400% move starting at 1000 or so dollars an ounce means four or $5,000 an ounce um, in the not-too-distant future for gold if we, uh, you know, if we follow past patterns. Um, so... That's what we have to look forward to. And even if there are some squiggles along the way, I think that um, owning something that's going to end up very probably end up three or four times higher than it is today within the next you know five to six, seven years uh, is a good thing to do when you consider the um, the safety aspects of gold and silver. You know, the one thing they're not going to do is go down to zero. They mm-hmm. will always retain quite a bit of value, whereas there's no stock you can say that about out there. Stocks, in this, um, well, it was another article that I posted that I think um, had a really important idea in it about the, the Wall Street Journal's article yes. where they trashed yes. gold yeah. because it's not an inflation hedge because they, they compared it to equities uh-huh. over the past 50 years and um, equities had gone up a little bit more than gold during that time. So they said, basically, in effect, equities are a better inflation hedge than gold, which makes no sense because gold is money. It is not an investment. So you right. compare gold with the dollar. And when you do that, you see that gold has vastly outperformed the other fiat currencies in the world, which means it's done its job. You know, it's a form of money that holds its value. It is not Amazon stock or Bitcoin or something like that. They're completely different things and they compete in completely different areas. Uh, you know, if you want something that outperforms Amazon, maybe you find a good mining stock, a gold miner. But 
the gold itself should hold its value over long periods of time. And it was really frustrating to see the Wall Street Journal not understanding that, mm -hmm. you know, if they don't, nobody in the mainstream financial community is going to, mm -hmm. which just shows you how much outside generalist money is going to pour into precious metals once people get a clue, you know, once people who are reading the Wall Street Journal and do not understand how precious metals and sound money in general work, once they figure it out, um, there, there will be none left for them, but the prices they'll be willing to pay will be outrageous. Well, indeed, and you show another chart in that same article comparing the money supply with gold, and it looks like uh, it's got a long ways to go gold has on the upside, but even more so silver. Um, maybe with 30 seconds left here, you can just comment on silver. Yeah, silver wins twice. One is that it's a, a more volatile version of gold, basically. So in good times, it goes up more than gold. And it's an industrial metal that is used in a lot of clean tech. So to the extent that the world is pouring money into solar panels and electric cars, silver benefits. So you win twice with silver, and there's zero chance of silver ever being confiscated. So uh, I own more, more silver than gold because of all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. John, I want to thank you so much uh, for spending time with us. Uh, tell people to go to dollarcollapse.com because there's so many good things there. I didn't get a chance to ask you about uh, this uh, repo chart in your in your article. Uh, take take a couple of seconds. I see we, we might have a few more seconds. Uh, what's up with this rever overnight reverse repo market? Well, the, the short version is that the banks no longer want to lend money to each other because they know how the banking industry works and they're terrified. You know, if, if the other banks are doing what they're doing, they don't want any part of it. So the government has had to step in or the Federal Reserve has had to step in and lubricate the overnight lending market for the big banks. And it's up to like a trillion dollars now. Right, yeah, it's crazy cr high number. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. John, we do have to go now. But yeah, it's the idea is that uh, who wants to lend money at zero interest rates? you got to get some interest rate uh, that will allow you to make up for the losses because they will come when you lend money. So uh, anyway, John, thank you so much for your time. Always, always good to have you with us. Uh, your insights are very much valued by our listeners. So I thank you very much. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Lynn Alden will be with me, as well as Quentin Henning, to discuss SK Gold, a very exciting story uh, that I think you're going to want to hear. And, of course, uh, Lynn always has some great insights into the markets as well. So until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit NV Gold Corp. Corp.com to learn more on this exciting story.